in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it you're a freak with a dark shameful secret but you're not the only one get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun now your healing has begun it's bad with money with gabe s done Hello, and welcome to Bad With Money. I'm your host, Gabe S. Dunn. This is a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you or scream at you or wear hats or have sound effects like or a bear growling or whatever. I am joined today by Kara Perez. Would you like to explain who you are and what you do? Absolutely. I am Kara Perez. I'm the founder of a company called Bravely Go, and we focus on sustainable finance. So, you know, how can we invest for our future without also killing the planet? How can we kind of use what we've got, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, save that money, achieve financial freedom, be cool while doing it? (laughs) Well, have I ruined your life? Because... (laughs) I asked you to get into Jim Cramer with me, 
a man that I have known about and referenced for a while, seen clips of, but I was like, I'm going to do a deep dive because I'm willing to be wrong. Maybe, you know, there was some stuff in here that was pretty useful. So we read Jim Cramer's Stay Mad for Life, Get Rich, Stay Rich, Make Your Kids Even Richer, which he wrote with a man named Cliff Mason. What is your first takeaway? What do you know about Jim Cramer? Honestly, I feel like I'm a really good person for this book because I have like zero exposure. I was going in pretty cold and I was like, okay, Jim, this is your book. Tell me who you are. You know, I don't know. No preconceived notions. Got it. So you had never seen his show. No, I had never seen his show. I watched my first couple episodes yesterday, (laughs) but before I finished the book yesterday too. Yeah. I mean, I was writing notes on it up until we started. So Jim Cramer is the host of Mad Money and also, I guess, a show called Squawk on the Street, though I've never seen that one. He went to Harvard. He worked for Goldman Sachs. And then he became a hedge fund manager and co-founded this website called The Street. And basically, he has his show Mad Money with Jim Cramer. It started airing on CNBC in 2005. He had a book come out That was more about his life. That was called Confessions of a Street Addict, which I took the title to mean something completely different. (laughs) He is talking about Wall Street. Yes. (laughs) So what a wild title to choose. Yeah, a little bit aggressive in a way that I was like, oh, no, he he's kind of co-opting a story. But anyway, yeah, I get it. Street addict. Fine. He's a money manager. He describes a really fast pace. You know, he wants to basically be involved in these sort of shark like attacks that fund managers make. Okay, so he's he's telling tales out of school. He's he's a, a, a truth sayer. A, f- a flamboyant, he said it and he said what he said kind of guy. Yes. He is Jewish, He, which I love to point out on here because I am Jewish. His father worked for a paper company in Pennsylvania, so I assume he worked at Dunder Mifflin. In 1978, he was working for the Tallahassee Democrat where he was one of the first people to cover Ted Bundy. Wow. So what a fun fact. <laughs> really crazy fun fact. And then during this time, his apartment was robbed and he lost everything and he lived in his car for nine months. So, you you know, a lot of times I read a lot of these books and a lot of times they have to sort of have these tragic backstories. Like even if they're so wealthy, they have to sort of make sure that you know that they have suffered before they tell you anything, basically. I mean, have you read a lot of these types of books? Yes, I have. And it's actually funny that you mentioned that because literally I have a post-it on page four that says, I'm regular just like you, bootstraps. <laughs> like, Because that's very much so how he starts the book. Yes, I'm regular. I'm just like you. And you know, it's interesting because I also, for another episode, am reading the essays of Warren Buffett. Why? Because I like to torture myself. <laughs> And also the audience seems to enjoy when I'm, I've absolutely done a deep dive and been tortured. And Warren Buffett doesn't really make any bones about being average. Like he's like, I, he doesn't ever say like, oh, I'm just like you. And so, you know, a lot of these books do start out that way. I'm guilty of that, like in Bad With Money. But again, like my story is being bad with money. I'm not really giving you any sort of advice as if I you know, I'm learning along with you. So that's sort of my thing. But a lot of these people who are rich now, which I'm not, will say, oh, I started out in these humble beginnings. I'm just like you, that kind of thing, which is sort of like almost the trope we have to get through. 
Yes, I big agree. I do feel like a ton of these people who write kind of, and I'm talking, I mean, there's a lot of finance books out there, but I'm talking about sort of like the really big names, right? The the Dave Ramsey's and the Susie Orman's are very like, and I worked my way up and I was a waitress and I went bankrupt, right? Like Dave went bankrupt and Susie Orman was a waitress and they let you know. Was a waitress and got I think her first seed money from someone like a customer at the restaurant. That's like her origin story. She was a former guest on this show and she is sort of my tether slash nemesis. (laughs) Yes, she like, I see that. I get that. And yeah, that story is wild. But then these people go on to become so fabulously wealthy and have huge platforms. Like you and I both have platforms, but neither one of us are Dave Ramsey level financial platforms, right? And I also am not wealthy. Like <laughs> I'm financially fine. I'm doing okay. I feel good about my money, but I do not have, I think Dave Ramsey's were like $55 million and I am not. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. One thing I will say about Jim Cramer is that he is not someone who got rich off of writing books like the guy from Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He's a guy who actually was managing money. And then so so his advice isn't useless, I will say. Now, he does talk about in terms of like even now on CNBC, I, I watched an interview with him and he's sort of the opposite of Warren Buffett in that he doesn't think financial advice is timeless. Like he's never sort of saying like, oh, you know, you don't have to keep up to the minute because the advice will stick no matter what, which to me is convenient because he does have a show where he has to give you the latest advice all the time. He was mired in controversy because of market manipulation, because his show is very popular and can sway the market. Up until like 10 days before Bear Stearns went under, He was saying, oh, Bear Stearns is never going to go under. He tried to sort of spin it by saying, oh, I was saying don't take your money out of Bear Stearns. I wasn't saying buy Bear Stearns. But then it sort of became he actually was saying buy Bear Stearns. But so he got into a lot of trouble when The Daily Show was still on. Jon Stewart went at him pretty hard. And then he actually came on The Daily Show and they did an interview, which you can watch and Basically, everyone took away that Jon Stewart wiped the floor with him. So, I mean, the thing is, is that when you have to make as many predictions as he has to make, obviously, he's not going to be right all the time. And he never claims to be right all the time. But the problem is, is that he's he does have so much power. So I looked up what what are the because he gives really specific examples of what to invest in in this book. And I looked up what. As of today, what are his top 10 to watch? Oh, yeah. So one is JP Morgan. Interesting. Two is Boeing, which he goes so hard at rep- like he he wants you to invest in Boeing so bad in this for in this book, which came out in 2007. And he's still he's still saying Boeing's the one Disney and Procter and Gamble, which he mentions he, like in this book a lot. He meant he wants elf beauty which is kind of wild, I guess, because Walmart bought it or something. Delta Airlines and then Microsoft, which is kind of funny because later on in this book, he does not not believe in Microsoft, which is hilarious. So the book came out in 2007. The guy he wrote it with was the head writer for for Mad Money. I mean, he's he he kind of is like going back and forth between I'm just a flamboyant guy who loves attention. I'm just silly. I'm just like, you know, a a weirdo. 
to kind of what you were saying, where he's like, I'm an everyman and anyone can get rich. What I do appreciate is he does say he's going to say everything in layman's terms. So like, how did you feel about that? Yeah, I thought, God, I had so many thoughts reading this book. I was high highs, low lows is less but I did appreciate that. So the book is written somewhat repetitively. It's very much so like, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I tell you it. And then I tell you what I just told you. He does repeat a lot of things, which I do think for a topic like investing specifically is a good way to approach it because a lot of people are really intimidated and overwhelmed by investing. And there is a lot in this book. I mean, he really goes definition by definition through different types of bonds, like what an index fund is, what a mutual fund is. And then like you were saying, he breaks down his specific picks in detail. So I do think that the repetition can be helpful, but he vacillates between being this kind of like over the top TV personality. He references his TV show like every four paragraphs <laughs> and then being like, oh, but I lived in my car. And then also being like, I made a ton of money in my hedge fund and my hedge fund got 24% returns every year after fees. He also mentions that a lot. So he has three distinct personalities of, I am rich and very good at this, but I'm just like you but also I'm your crazy uncle. And like, who knows what I'm going to say? Yeah, which, I mean, as someone who teaches about investment, did you find his breaking down of these definitions to be useful or accurate? I did find them pretty good, honestly. I did have a couple of notes where I was like, wow, am I agreeing here? (laughs) Oh, I know. It's really, one of the things about these books is that Like you want to sit here and rip them apart. And Dave Ramsey was so easy to rip apart. And maybe it's bad that that I did that as one of my first ones or that I did Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because both of those people are absolutely unhinged. But Jim Cramer, for all of his unhinged behavior, there was like some really good definitions in here. Yes, I agree. Now, the whole thing with him is that he is admittedly amoral. So he right off the bat is like, my advice is amoral. There's no judgment. It's just to get rich. I don't really care what these companies do or if they're good. That's it. You know, one thing that I've noticed as a pattern is basically a lot of these people talk about how to not pay taxes. And it reminds me of how people say, well, we want to do a wealth tax. And then, you know, someone like me, a leftist socialist is like, absolutely, let's do a wealth tax. But then the pushback on that is there's, they're going to find ways not to pay taxes anyway. You could do a wealth tax and you know what's going to happen? Those people are going to put their monies in offshore accounts. Like it's not as though the problem is that they aren't being taxed enough, which is one problem. But the other problem is, is that they know all these tricks to not pay taxes and they share them with each other. And so this book, I mean, openly, I mean, a, a lot of times he'll be like, this is legal, quote unquote. This is not fraud, quote unquote. But he is like pretty much giving a lot of advice on how to avoid taxes. Yes. This is actually like a very strong vein throughout the whole book where he, and I kept writing comments about it, but he rails against the system really hard. And then also in the next paragraph will praise the system really hard. Like the whole section on 401ks, he was ping-ponging back and forth 
between 401ks are the worst and also 401ks are pure capitalism and I love them. (laughs) And he hates pensions. That was so interesting. Yeah, he hates pensions. Okay, we're going to get to that. On page 15, he does a thing where he's like, the meaning of rich, you know, I, I, it, it is a lot about luck, right? He's like, of course, I can't teach you everything because it's about luck. But the problem is, is that it's not luck. It's systemic. Like he's saying, oh, it's, it's luck. You know, are you born into a wealthy neighborhood or not? And it's like, well, but that just doesn't happen by accident. Right. And I actually wrote this down on page 16. I have a post-it here where on page one, he starts the book by being like, I firmly believe anyone can work the financial system and get rich. And then on page 16, he's like, you need luck. (laughs) So he's already contradicting himself. And then that just continues throughout the whole book. He does. I have it marked down that on one page, he says, everyone should own stocks. And then on the like four pages later, he's like, stocks aren't for everyone. Yes, he does that repeatedly with index funds too. He's like, I love index funds. You can't go wrong with index funds. And then he's like, if you only invest in index funds, you're an idiot. Like, (laughs) pages apart. So I didn't realize that because he has a show where he can do heavy market manipulation, he's only allowed to invest in his own charitable fund. So that's where he does a lot of his. And then he has a website where you can see what he's investing in, which I think is interesting. One thing that I thought I had not seen in other books is that he is ride or die for health insurance and disability insurance. Yes. He was so intense about like, you need health insurance, you need disability insurance. Like before anything, you need those. Like he seemed, I don't know what happened to him in his life that scarred him so badly that he's like, if you don't have disability insurance, you're a fucking idiot. (laughs) You're asking to like fall down the stairs and, and become a quadriplegic. Like he's very intense about, I know, I know health insurance being important, but he's like, seems to be really traumatized by medical debt. Yes. He has those three types of disability insurance that he talks about in detail. And you're right. I mean, it's like, five or six pages straight of the details of the different plans, but how important they are. And it's before he gets into details around budgeting. So he really wants you to do this as step one in getting your financial life together, which I agree. The only other book that I can think of off the top of my head that mentions disability insurance is Tiffany Alice's book, Get Get Good With Money. What's Is that what it's called? Okay. And she has a whole chapter on insurance in general. And she mentions disability insurance, but most other financial books don't even go near insurance. So I did think, yeah, it was very interesting that he was like, this is number one. If you don't do this, you're dooming yourself to a life of poverty. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a new candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. 
it would be so much easier if I was looking for someone to help me with sweetening audio or let's say someone to run my merch shop or all the little things that go into running a podcast. Usually something like that would be so slow and overwhelming. And honestly, I wish I had used Indeed and I will use Indeed in the future. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything is more expensive these days when you're running a business and you would be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. The fact that you are able to reduce your IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud is incredible. And the ability to access your cloud financial system from anywhere saves you so much time and stress. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. Managing my finances is incredibly stressful and time-consuming. I'm sure you guys know. You've been with me on this journey. You know how many finance apps I've tried. You know how much they haven't worked for me. And I'm always on the hunt for a finance app that fits my life. And then I tried Monarch. It is so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I really value an app that allows me to do all of this without confusion. And especially important to me is intuitive design and the ability to personalize because clearly finance is not one size fits all. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Are you saving for a down payment, a wedding, a dream vacation? Monarch makes it so easy to help you reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Have you been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, rarely updated? So was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful and ad-free and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Experience a personal finance app that prioritizes the user experience above all else. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. 
and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Plus, there's ad-free privacy you can trust. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Now, I will say that some of these investments are in insurance companies, but Warren Buffett is, I'm just going to keep bringing him up too, because I just read his book, but his whole thing is, is he's invested in Geico and like he's invested in a lot of insurance companies. So I wonder if there's sort of a, a connection there, but also, you know, it is this funny thing of like, he acknowledges that if you don't have insurance, you're fucked but he's saying get insurance rather than sort of being like, maybe we should think about universal health care. But again, he's amoral. Like he's just here to sort of, he actively is like, I'm not here to change the world. I'm here to just like make you wealthy. The amount of post-its slash just like on the page annotations I have of that just say he's so close to the point and then misses it because he gets, he frequently, like I said, he will criticize the system. He'll be like, it's really hard to save for retirement in the United States. It's really expensive to live in the United States. Help medical debt is the number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States. And then he just blows by the systemic problems. And he's like, anyway, you just need to get, you just need to buy, you know, Procter and Gamble and you'll be rich. <laughs> and this won't be a problem for you anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, also, I really, as a Jew, and he's Jewish, uses he uses the word Shylock on page 19, which is a slur. So that's wild. But he also it, it talks about how like people think money is like a moral and cultural failing, which again, is this, an example of like so close to the point and then and then backing away from it. I did enjoy his reframing of savings as active. So he's like, saving shouldn't be passive. It shouldn't be just in a savings account. It should be you're saving to invest and you should have like an active, his whole thing seems to be like, have an active eye on what your money is doing. And I'm not mad at that. Yeah, I agree. I'm not mad at that either. And I tell people, you know, and a lot of people tell people who are struggling with money or struggling to kind of emotionally connect with why they should be thinking about their 60-year-old self when they're only 27 is find your why. And I think he's very clear. He does have something too, a line that I liked where he was like, there's a difference between not spending money and saving money, which I was like, yes, Jim, snaps for that. Because yeah, you could just be like, oh, I'm not going out to eat tonight. But that's not the same as transferring that $27 to savings, right? Like that's actually saving. So yeah, there are moments in this book where I was like, I'm 100% on board with this. And then there are moments in this book where I was like, 
this is my Republican uncle drunk at Thanksgiving ranting about, you know, things Republicans rant about. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, you know, he's a capitalist through and through and he's also but not just a capitalist. He's also like libertarian in the sense of and and very sort of like value neutral about about everything. You know, it's interesting. He he talks about in chapter two, like the stuff you need to do. So he talks about budgeting. I did enjoy like saying, oh, OK, take the money that you want to save and put it in your IRA so you can't touch it really, like rather than in a savings account for, for a lot of your money. I thought that was really interesting. His, after health insurance, his number three thing is have no balance on your credit cards. And he bangs on about interest rates, which is something that I do a lot, too. And I'm like, yes, this is smart information. But then he's like, credit cards are bad, have no balance on them. And then right away, he says, invest in MasterCard. Yes. (laughs) Jim. Yes. He's like, don't do these things. But the people who aren't reading this book are going to do these things. So take advantage of them, baby. Yes, that's exactly it. Oh my gosh. On page 47, where he is talking about budgeting, I literally have a post-it that says the problem sailed over his head because he's talking about medical debt. And he's like, so many people have medical debt and you know, you always need to have health insurance. You need to do all these things. But then he's just like, people are going to get sick and like, you can capitalize on that. And I'm like, baby, what are we doing? No, exactly. It's so wild. It's really, it's really, really funny. Like he also, you know, gives advice about snowballing, which is a strategy of like taking your credit card debt and putting it to a new credit card that has like a teaser rate, which is like, I think we've talked about that on this show a little bit. You know, people feel very differently about that. And I think also, I think Dave Ramsey coined snowballing which is devastating, but also he hates, he hates debt too. So I don't know, they both, they both hate debt, which is not a thing that, but, but Dave Ramsey's thing is to scrimp and like take, you know, don't ever treat yourself. And Jim Cramer's like, no, you can, you can do nice things for yourself. Like it's not, you know, he doesn't sort of like one thing he says is, It's true that food and shampoo are necessary, but what you're spending on them might not be. And I was like, that's not terrible. No. Yeah. Jim, Dave Ramsey very much so has this kind of like puritanical Calvinist approach where it's like suffering is good, right? And if you have strayed from the smart financial decisions, you should be punished by never going out to eat until you get back on the right path. And Jim does not strike me as that kind of puritanical person at all. Like, I feel like Jim's trying to have a good time. No, his hat, <laughs> his hat budget alone for his show. Yeah. He's yeah. like, where am I going to get more sombreros? <laughs> he's so he's he is anti treat yourself, but he's anti the idea of deserve. So he says, if you don't spend money on the things you enjoy, what's the point in having money? But he's saying there's a huge difference between I deserve it and I can afford it. So he mostly is just like sort of trying to talk about, you know, the ways that people do say things like you're not allowed to have any fun if you have any debt or any like if you're trying to save at all. And like, you know, I think it is worth pointing out the very different ways in which they approach stuff and that Jim's way is a bit more realistic. Yes. 
I agree. And as someone who tries to approach money from a sustainable perspective, both from an environmental perspective and from a what is sustainable for you in your life, like what will keep you budgeting, how much free spending will keep you overall financially responsible. I can actually get on board with that. Like I tell people a lot of times, you know, the average American sees something like 5,000 advertisements a day. We are constantly bombarded with messages to buy and messages that there's something wrong with us that only spending money will heal. And I really actively reject that. And something I try and tell people is to opt out of spending sometimes, not in a punitive way, but in a like, yeah, do I really need this? Or have I just been told I'm ugly or I smell bad or like hot girls do X, right? And so now I think I need to do X. And I feel like that's what Jim is getting at here is like, just think about it, bro. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, so Susan Orman's big thing is never lease a car, never, ever, ever, da, da, da. And later on in the book, Jim Cramer says, I do lease a car and I think a car is necessary for me. And he just is like, I need it to do this and I want it for my commute. And that's that. And like, I think that is less prescriptive than saying these are the things you should not do or should not have. He says, like, you don't want to you're building wealth, not so just so you can retire comfortably, but so you can buy things. And like, of course, I believe you need a little bit of recklessness and irresponsibility now and again, but only as much as you can afford. So he's sort of saying like, you know, you're you're not budgeting to just hold on to this money. Like he he advocates for like short term budget and long term budget. And he's like, you can't exist without the long term budget for sure. But you also need a long-term budget too. And they can be different in your mind. Yes, which I really don't feel like, you would never hear Dave Ramsey say that. Never. (laughs) Dave Ramsey hasn't had fun one day in his life. Meanwhile, Jim Cramer's just like playing kazoos and making making little bells ring or whatever. Jim is having a time. He's a showman. Okay, so now this is on page 46. We get into him getting close to the right idea, and then capitalism taking over. Okay. (laughs) So he is talking about insurance again, and he's saying you need good insurance so that you can be a good worker, so that you can be a good employee. So he's talking about like the capitalism of it all, of like, you know, you don't want to take a sick day. Even one or two sick days a year can be bad for your career. You want to lose weight and quit smoking. You know, and I wrote down, oh boy, late stage capitalism. (laughs) He's like, you really need insurance. You really need all this stuff. Because, you know, if you're not going to be able to go to school or you're not going to be able to work because, you know, you don't have these insurances, uh, that that's going to be really bad. And if you have disability insurance, you know, that's called own occupation, then you're not going to, you'll get paid if you, you know, go, you, you'll get, you get paid if you go to work in another field, but that's never, the consideration is never like, oh, maybe you should get covered for, maybe you shouldn't have to work through cancer. You know what I mean? Yes. 
His take here on 46, you know, he says, at my hedge fund, there was no such thing as a sick day. Even one or two sick days a year can be bad for your career. And it's like, right, that's what he keeps saying. (laughs) Hey, Jim, like to your point, Gabe, you know, like having cancer is bad for my life. And also life is more than just a job. Like we are not put on this planet and born to simply show up and like make Jeff Bezos more money, right? Like that's not what it's about. Yeah. I mean, he's very much like, you're fucked if you don't have these things. Well, anyway, get them. Yeah. Yeah. He's not like, why is life so hard and expensive? Let's unpack that. He's just like, life is hard and expensive. You better be more of a capitalist than you already are. Like don't, there's no solidarity. There's no like collective bargaining. You just got to be ruthless and get your own. Yeah. I mean, he also talks about like, you know, he says, getting rich is about greed. Staying out of poverty is about fear, but each should encourage you to save money rather than unpacking like greed and fear. He's just like, harness them, use them to become a capitalist monster. Yes. I like how he reframes retirement fund into retirement capital. Like a lot of his reframing is really good and his explanation of IRAs and stuff is really good. Okay, so here's, so here we go. In the old days, our parents and grandparents could rely on pensions and social security to provide for them in their old age. They didn't need to worry about retirement. Nowadays, thanks to the magic of capitalism, through 401ks, IRAs, and perhaps someday in the not so distant future, semi-privatized social security, most of us are no longer held hostage to the performance of defined benefit pension plans that pay out only so much money and therefore limit how much growth we can see from our retirement savings. Today, we have the freedom to manage our own retirement plans. Now, this is exceedingly libertarian and also exceedingly naive because he's imagining that it's good for you to be able to play the market when you, because you're not guaranteed safety from the government when you could just be guaranteed safety from the government. And also a lot of people that play the market were absolutely devastated in the 2008 crash, were devastated by the pandemic. Like he's acting like this is a good thing as though, oh, everyone is gonna be able to benefit. But I think more often than not, people are not benefiting. I'm so glad you brought this up because I literally have that same paragraph, like a line and it just says insane. was my takeaway reading that thinking about it so wrong he's like what Mm -hmm. he's like he's and i get it right he has a tv show that tells you how to pick stocks individually of course he's gonna want you to pick stocks individually i get it he's selling his show he's selling his expert his expertise but you're you're lying to yourself and to others if you think that, oh, don't worry, the capitalist free market is actually allowing you to have a better retirement. Yes, it's this libertarian kind of like prosperity gospel bullshit that every major personal finance outlet and individual sells. And, you know, like his take here through nowadays, thanks to the magic of capitalism, you have the ability to choose your own investments and you don't have to settle for like what is in the pension and therefore chosen for you. Because now you have the opportunity to maybe get 20% returns, 40% returns. And he's completely failing to say, you're also running the risk of getting negative 5% returns of going bankrupt. You know, he's not, he's just showing you the like, I'm thinking of the Aladdin cave 
where it's like all the gold, but then it's a sham at the end and Aladdin has to haul ass out of that cave before he dies. Right, he's anti, he's like saying like small government, basically. Yes, 100%. And, you know, I think later on he talks about he's very anti-stock options, like which we're about to get to, but he doesn't think you should have stock options in the company that you work for, which kind of made sense, but hearkened back to this a little bit. So this is where he he says he's amoral. I know I have an over-the-top amoral persona on my TV show. And look, who among us doesn't have an over-the-top amoral persona? I certainly do. <laughs> then he says, I've always maintained that good investors need to be able to put their money in companies that do bad things. Yes, And again, as someone who like, I don't invest in fossil fuels. I divested myself and my partner from fossil fuels in 2021. And I feel fucking great about it. I'm like, Exxon is literally killing the planet and all of us. I will not be giving you my $200 a month. Thank you. And he's like, but have you considered that you're not getting rich, Kara? I know. And he's like, burn the planet down, baby, because you're going out on a gold throne. And I'm like, no, you unhinged monster. He's like, I mean, he's basically just like, hey, get yours, build, you know, like in The Purge where Ethan Hawke like builds that house that's just like very secure. And then the, and then, okay, well, not to ruin the first Purge film. Also, I have never in my life talked, like, I think in, my bad with money book. I talk about the purge for two pages. Like <laughs> I I'm, I'm not saying my book is better, but in the purge, he talked, it, it's a fantastic franchise about class warfare. Ethan Hawke builds this house to basically protect his family from the purge, but then purge people get in. I mean, it's basically like, Hey, I'm going to succeed and I'm going to make myself and my family live in this purge house while everything else goes to shit outside. Totally. Totally. It's, it's this, again, like, this is what drives me. Sometimes I wonder, you know, what am I doing with my life being in personal finance? Because really all I want to do is go be like an organizer, but I really am constantly horrified by my colleagues hyper individualistic approach to money. And there's like four people I can think of off the top of my head in the personal finance space out of hundreds of people who even mention like community or like giving and donations. (laughs) Like everyone else is just like, here's how you can get rich as fuck ASAP. And like, I want people to have money, but I also want all of us to be okay. Hey guys, Gabe Dunn here. I just wanted to let you guys know that I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Gabe S. Dunn. And on that Patreon, I'm going to start doing live hangs with everyone who is a patron. So if you want to join the Patreon, you can get all these episodes ad free, videos of our mailbag episodes, extra writing from me, blogs, fiction, other stuff, things that I'm thinking about with regards to money and personal stories. And also now live hangs with me on Zoom once a month. So join the Patreon. And if you're not a member of the Discord, hop on over to the Discord. That's free. The link will be in the description. It's so fun. So many of you guys talk over there. It's like truly popping off. Um, And if you're on the Discord, I would love to see you in the live hang. So I get to put a face to a name. So yeah, please join patreon.com slash Gabe S. Dunn and come hang out with me. Shout out to Clarendon for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. 
you guys know that I have had allergies for forever. I've had seasonal allergies since I was a kid. It causes pressure in my face, under my eyes. They're my ultimate handbrake. When my nose is plugged up, I feel like I can't do anything. I can't enjoy food because I can't taste it. I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even host the show because my voice sounds like a duck. And listen... I am already dealing with vocal strain from testosterone and my voice dropping. I don't need any more problems with allergies. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for allergies like probably for the last 10 years or something, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go outside without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped in my throat. I get really embarrassed when I'm sneezing all the time. I have like an itchy nose or throat, like like just the, the itchiness in the back of your sinuses is like so distracting and so annoying. And I get like pressure in my ears too. It's really painful. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa Credit Cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone. Chime members are not and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. I mean, look, he also doesn't want to pay taxes. He talks about like, again, like how to get out of paying taxes. And he gives a lot of good advice about like 401ks and hardship, you know, hardship withdrawals and what you can do. And like, it's all like very, it's, it's explained very well for a layman. Then I am going to get into how he hates stock options. So he says the most popular 401k investment is your employer's stock. Don't ever buy any. And his idea of this is that basically like if you're already tied to the company's success by working there, so why have stock options for that company? Because 
if the company goes down, you're already getting fired. So you may as well have stock somewhere else. Now, what do you think of that? In my most generous take, I see where he's coming from. And he does use the example of Enron, which is a very good example of employees getting royally screwed by one company. But I do think I thought it was odd that he went so hard on this point because he really acts as if it's a make or break financial decision. And I'm like, I just don't share that same belief. I don't think you will be totally wrecked if you have 10% of your investment portfolio in the same company you work for and it goes belly up. I think he thinks that it's a way for employers not to like employers not to to pay you, right? Like, so he says, some employers provide their matching 401k contribution in their own stock. If so, take that first opportunity you have to sell that stock and move your funds to a better investment. In this case, any other investment is better than owning shares of your employer, especially in your retirement account. I had never heard this before. Like I've always heard of stock options as being a good thing. So I don't know. I was just like very confused by how much he was so against that. I think it really matters. I mean, like a lot of investing, it really matters what the company is, how much stock option you have, right? Like how much it vests. And because a lot of people have made a lot of money with these and some people haven't. So again, I was just kind of confused that he was like, this is a pillar of my investment strategy. What do you, what does vesting mean? Oh, so vesting is a way that companies can get you to stick around for longer. So companies will often offer employees stock options, but they can't be realized. They can't be sold until they have vested, which means the employee has served a certain amount of time at the company. So it's like, oh, you know, you've got 30% um, stock options here. The first 10% will vest in your first year, the second 10% in your second and the third in your third year. That makes sense. I mean, I do like that he keeps banging on about needing to look at what you're investing in and needing to check the performance of your capital and all of that. And like that you need to be active about these things. So like, yeah, for sure. And like looking at what kind of fees you're paying and looking at if that's eating into your gains. Sure, sure, sure. But he also is very then intense about, well, but if stuff's going poorly, don't worry about it. Like, so like, look at everything. But then later on, he does say a problem is that when things are going poorly, people start ignoring their portfolios because it's too hard to look at. And I thought that was good advice that he sort of later on is like, no, stare into the darkness. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, I feel like Because this book is really fundamentally about how to choose good investments or how to choose the investments that Jim Cramer thinks are good, he really does spend the first part of the book teeing up, you need to be willing to put in time and energy to stock picking. And part of that is paying attention to the market when the market is down. Yes, yes. And I thought that that was really interesting that he is talking about diversifying. And he's like, when you look at your discretionary portfolio, which is not your IRA or your 401k, it's like your stocks that you're playing with. If all of your stocks are up at the same time, it means you're not diversified enough. He's saying, if you want some of your stocks to be up and some of your stocks to be down, because then you know that you're in uh, enough different like sectors. 
And I hadn't really thought of that. I thought that was very interesting. And he also talks about like, he he acknowledges that he's very flamboyant. He uses the word flamboyant for himself. And he talks about like buying stocks for capital appreciation and buying bonds for capital preservation. And I liked, I liked those terms. Are those like terms that are used by everyone? I, not by everyone. They are, well, I would say they're very commonly used on Wall Street, but they're a little bit dense. So you're kind of like average Instagram or TikToker doesn't use that. But I agree. I thought that's good phrasing. And often when you go to open an IRA or a solo 401k or whatever is, you know, they'll ask you, what's the point of this account? What do you want to do with it? And it'll be like capital preservation, capital growth, like retirement, something like that. And so I appreciated his use of language here. Yeah. It's, do you want to keep your money that you have and be safe? Or do you want to really grow your money? That seems to be like the two ways to do it. Now, then he says, not everyone should own stocks. Then he says, don't accuse me of hypocrisy. But literally like two minutes ago, you did say that everyone should own stocks. So it's very confusing, but you're right. He says like, it's basically a full-time job. Like if you, and he says, if you can watch my show, you probably have time to practice stock picking and do a good job at it. In the past, I may have done more harm than good by encouraging people to invest in individual stocks. I don't feel guilty about it because I have always hammered home the point that if you're going to invest in stocks, which can make you an incredible amount of money, you have to be willing to work really hard at it. And then he says, I am not the first self-made millionaire to write a book telling you how to get rich. The difference between me and most of the other guys and the ones who've already made it is that most of them sell their story, not their advice. I made my story a separate book which I think sent a mixed message about being a great money manager. When I say these guys sell their stories, I mean then their books go something like this. I made a fortune doing this thing. Let me tell you about it. And if I did it, so can you. If it's a book about real estate, more often than not, it probably doesn't contain much good advice about investing in real estate. Instead, the book sells you a false promise. The promise that if the author got rich investing in real estate, you can too, as long as you follow in his or her footsteps. I will not make that promise and I certainly won't sell it to you. And that was like, wow, rich dad, poor dad found scalped. Rich dad, poor (laughs) dad found absolutely dead in a ditch. Damn. One thing I appreciate is he names names and he goes for the jugular. He does not pull punches. And I had underlined that same part because I completely agree. That is a ton of financial media, right? Like, here's how I made $10,000 in passive income. Like, do exactly what I did. And there's no nuance around, will this fit your lifestyle? Do you have the same abilities that I have, et cetera, et cetera. And Jim speaks to that here, which I appreciated. But at the same time, peppered throughout the whole dang book is him being like, I made a gazillion dollars in my hedge fund. And that's why I'm talking to you about which stocks to pick. Like he's doing the same thing in a way. Yeah, but also I appreciate that he's not like, I just made money selling my book, you know? Like a lot of them are that. So, okay, fine. He also is like, again, like Warren Buffett found dead in a ditch because he says no two stocks in the portfolio should occupy the same sector. So if you own Bank of America, you shouldn't also own Citigroup. And then he's like, don't think for a minute that you need to be diversified across different kinds of investments. It would be insane to invest 20% of your portfolio in stocks, another in bonds, another in mutual funds. This is not what diversification means. It It's like, he's talking about um, that it means like, you know, having your money in different types of, of places, not different types of things. Now, 
Warren, but now, so, so he literally says at one point, don't have all your eggs in one basket. Warren Buffett in his book that I just read, he literally says, have all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket carefully. So that's actually extremely different advice from the two of them, which then later he says Warren Buffett's his idol, but he has like a totally different take. Like Buffett is like, put all your money in a sector you believe in and then just be very diligent and do all of your homework on that sector and watch that sector. Jim Cramer, which now I'm wondering if maybe it has to do with his show, right? Is that it benefits him to have you buying all kinds of stocks. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Why, what do you, which, which of them is right? <laughs> well, I think this is a good example of the truth that there are many ways to get rich, right? Some people get rich via real estate. Some people get rich because they invent Facebook and some people do well with index funds and some people do well with stock picking. So like stock picking worked for Jim, index funds and being really in on one specific area has worked really well for Warren Buffett. So they're both speaking to their strengths and their experiences. Is one better than the other? I would say Warren Buffett's is easier for most people because it's way less work, but is it better? I don't know. I can't, I wouldn't say definitely it's better. Yeah. Right in guys. The two, the the two genders, Kramer or Buffett. And let me know which one you are. I am like, we need a poll option on the podcast. Which absolutely out of touch (laughs) old man are you? And we're going to get into that in a second because I did some fun research. Okay, so he explains stocks and bonds, which is great. I think it's really good. Also, again, names names and says, says this thing about Warren Buffett on page 104 and Warren Buffett absolutely his silence is deafening. When will he respond? Where is the diss track? He also says he wants you to manage your own portfolio. He thinks that, you know, you don't always have to be invested in an S&P 500 index fund, but then almost immediately he talks about how you should be invested in a Vanguard index fund. (laughs) So pretty confusing. I think he's just thinks he's giving you choices. Okay. I want to read where he explains that running this yourself is a full-time job. So he's saying, okay, if you're going to own stocks, My standing rule is that in order to do well, you absolutely must spend at least one hour a week doing homework on each stock you own, in addition to doing a lot of research before you buy. That research includes actually listening to the company's conference calls, reading its quarterly and annual reports, and familiarizing yourself with the market's current attitude towards the stock, which you can do by reading articles about it, looking at its recent performance, and looking at the performance of companies in the same business. I also believe you have to tap Google fairly regularly to read any articles about the stock around the nation and the globe. This is a time-consuming process, but you can do all of this online. You shouldn't try to own more than 10 stocks because any more than that, and you practically have a second job keeping on top of them. Sir. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so this is the thing, and this is what I learned investing in, in the stock market, doing my own individual stocks, is that, It is a second job. Like it's so time consuming. It's and it's why people hire these managers. But the thing is, is that that sounds like a lot of work for someone to do who like has kids and like has a hobby and has another full time job. Maybe they work at retail or they work at an office or whatever. But if this is your full time job as like a money manager, it's not that much work. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. And like if this is the first or maybe the second 
financial book you're reading. And then you want to jump from reading, you know, staying mad for life to reading companies, quarterly reports. That's a huge leap for an average person to make because quarterly reports are dense, right? And there's a lot of like very um, kind of snobby investing language that most of us don't have exposure to or familiarity with. Oh my God. Sitting on a conference call. Absolutely. No way. I'm asleep holding my phone. (laughs) He also talks about like not fearing short-term losses, which he starts getting into more and more. And I think that kind of sets his show and his predictions up for success, right? Like he's like, yeah, like, you know, there might be some short-term losses, but that's because you're not holding on to them long enough. And it's sort of like, well, yeah, buddy, it's because you told people to buy Bear Stearns 10 days before it went under. And then you were like, well, if you just hold on to it, you're you're actually not being smart because if you just hold on to it, it'll come back. You know, it's going to be fine. Yes, he never outright blames anyone in the book. He's never like, you're not already rich because you're dumb. He's like, you're not already rich, which is nice because some people do that. But he is like, everything, if you are not successful, the undercurrent of this book is that's, it's because it's your fault. You know, like it is, you're not, you're not doing the right things. You're not doing enough research. You're probably relying on your 401k too much, which he like constantly goes back and forth between loving and hating 401ks. And loving Um, and hating money managers and hedge funds. Yes. Oh my gosh, totally. And so it's very like, that was, I think my biggest frustration with this book is that he'll say one thing and then two pages later, it's a direct contradiction and it's for basically every single topic. The best part about it is his definitions of things. Is his descriptions of all the different types of bonds, what each bond is, what each bond, you know, has in it. But then when it gets to his advice is where we sort of lose him. Yes. Do you think he's right to hate? He seems to fucking hate dividends. I think he's wrong. I personally love dividends. Why does he hate them so much? I don't know. That was strange to me. I guess he thinks that it means that the company is trying to he, he's saying that when a company has a big dividend, it means that they don't believe in the growth of the company. So they're trying to lure you to buy their stock with something other than a promise that the stock is good and solid. And so he feels like it's kind of like a bribe and it, does, it doesn't bode well for the company. Yeah, but he also uses on page 113 as a... He says, I consider a stock high quality if it has a significant buyback, which there's a stock buyback, which he defines as when companies use their money to buy up their own stock and take it off the market, which I'm pretty against stock buybacks. It's like pretty unethical, I think. Oh, can you explain <laughs> more of what that is? Yeah. So stock buybacks have become very popular in probably the last 15 years. And so what they're doing is they're putting shares on the open market. This is very big picture, but companies will put shares on the market for anyone to buy, but then use their own profits or sometimes savings from like laying people off to buy back their own stock. And so there's less for other people to buy. And then it gets concentrated in this very small pool of already insanely wealthy investors. So it's just the rich get richer using this tactic. And it's a corporate tactic. And he's saying, oh, I think that means that it's a good company because they are essentially creating like scarcity, making the company more valuable. And I'm like, that's a big leap, Jim. That's a really big leap. And that's a weird metric to be using to determine if a company is valuable or not. Why do you say that? Well, you can change 
buybacks are not, oh, once we've bought back X amount, we have to do that every single year henceforth, right? They can change at any time. So a, a company might have a year where they do a lot of stock buybacks and then a year where they do none. So if it's not a consistent thing, I think that's a weird metric to use for judging, right? I like consistency in my metrics. Does the price, when they do a big buyback, does the price of the stock go up? It can, it's not a guarantee. And it really can create, like if you are to Google, for anyone's listening to this, I would Google like stock buybacks 2020 because it was a big thing in 2020. And a lot of companies caught a lot of heat for doing it. Like it was a negative PR thing. So I think that's also should be considered for like when people are saying, oh, we need to boycott whatever company, right? Like we need to boycott Coca-Cola, we need to whatever because of stock buybacks. Now the stock can go down because it has negative word on the street, right? Well, not word on the street, negative word of mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like one can negate the other. I just thought it was a very tenuous thing to hang his hat on. Also, how dare you do this to Coca-Cola? Warren Buffett's absolute favorite drink. And also my my favorite Diet Coke. But the okay, we can't get into Coca-Cola because I'm going to talk about that on Warren Buffett episode because that's all he drinks and it's very weird. Okay, do you think this is right? If you get into a fund because it has a good manager and the manager leaves, it's time for you to get out too. How do you feel about that? Oh, yeah. I underlined that as well. I thought that was interesting. I had never considered it. On its face, I don't think it's bad advice because he's right. If you're paying for a mutual fund or an actively managed fund, and then the person who is managing it leaves, you're no longer guaranteed their expertise or returns. So I think there's actually quite a bit of value to that strategy. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting too. Because then he later goes on to, to not only recommend funds, but he recommends the people who run those funds. Oh, and we're going to get into it. <laughs> so then he talks about family stuff which is fine. The only thing I took away from this was that he wants you to to put <laughs> to put some stuff in your kids' names, which is pretty interesting. He talks about the housing crisis and the big short and everything. He says, I've never had a moral problem with paying taxes. I know many people, probably many of you, do have strong political objections to taxes, and that's a legitimate position. I've always felt that as a rich guy, it would be obscene for me to complain about paying taxes or paying for anything else of that matter, even if my tax rate is higher. But then he sort of is like, take advantage of every tax break, which is fine. Sure. Whatever. What the hell is the kitty tax? Unclear. Unclear. <laughs> like I found his, does he have kids? I never Googled if he has. He does. He does have kids. Because okay. he writes a little bit like someone who doesn't have children this whole oh he later talks about his kids because oh i missed that oh, man. Oh, oh oh okay so so basically he's talking about like what to put in your kid's name and stuff like parents you know should put some things in their kids names or whatever but then saying like the more your child has in his or her name the less financial aid they can get for college so it's like legal what he's saying i think but sort of like i don't know it's weird. I, I I thought some of the the kids stuff was interesting. Like it, it is, again, something that's going to take up a lot of your time. So it's like he talks about like going slow shopping with them and teaching them how to look for better deals and not buy things right away. And he tells he tells them to, you know, do stocks. So like invest with kids like and like have the stocks sort of be honest with them about money. And 
And then he recommends six stocks for children under six to buy. Yes. For you to buy for them. And I thought that was hot. Yeah. That was a hot take. And to explain, (laughs) to explain to them what they're buying, like stuff that they know what it is. So like Disney, Viacom, Hasbro, Gap, Gymboree, and McDonald's. Not bad, but just sort of interesting that he's like, and then the kid, when it goes to McDonald's, it'll be like, I own stock here, which can you fucking imagine that kid? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. No. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Something you said earlier that I think, again, is is a thread throughout the book is Jim talks about loopholes that exist, and he's like, anyone can take advantage of this. And I think you and I are on the same page where we're like, no, Jim, you shouldn't be taking advantage of this. <laughs> like, it's, it's that cartoon where it's the three people standing on boxes to look over a fence, and it's the difference between equality and equity. Like, if they because it's three people who are different heights for anyone who's listening to this. So there's a really tall person and a really short person and a middle height person, and they all have the same height box, but the really short person still can't see over the fence. So there's no equity, even though it is equal, they all have the same box. And I'm like, Jim, this is what you're missing. He's like, well, these things exist. So it's okay if you're already a billionaire to not pay any taxes using these loopholes. And it's like, no, 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 no. Those people should be paying taxes. And the like single mom trying to feed three kids on 42 grand a year in, you know, Dallas should get some tax write-offs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he tries to make it seem like everyone could get them, but You know, he also, I liked this line. If only baby showers would get registered with E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, and Schwab. Oh my God, yeah. Okay, okay. He talks about college. Again, this book came out in 2007. So he does say, if you have to pay a lot of money for your kid to go to a great school, trust me, he or she will earn it all back after graduation. That's not true, baby. That's not true. Says, okay, so this is also rich dad, poor dad, found dead in a ditch. He said on one on page 150, when you buy a home, you want to live there. And then he talks about it's a really great paragraph about how the housing market sort of started to decline. And basically, you can get all of this same information from watching the big short. But yeah, he very much is sort of saying that what went wrong there. And it's interesting because most other books will say buy real estate and then rent it out. So I'm wondering why he says the other, the opposite. 
Yeah, he goes pretty hard for a finance guy of of just not being enamored with real estate. He's very much so like, you know, he says here, I'm not saying buying a home can't be a great investment, but I am saying you can't think that investments in real estate will always go higher. And a, a lot of the real estate fanboys and girls and theys are very much so like, you buy a house, you rent it out, you're always going to make cash flow 500 bucks a month. It's only going to appreciate in value. And Jim is just like, that might not happen. Yeah, it's super interesting. I wonder if it because his bread and butter is stocks. And so he's trying to get you to not buy the real estate books. But I don't really know. I found it pretty fascinating. I think he's just got a more balanced approach. Maybe because he obviously his expertise is with stocks. But he, I mean, I will say, I will give him credit. Like he does do a pretty good job compared to other financial talking heads of being like, you can make mistakes and or some things might not pan out where there are lots of other financial people who will never admit that. Yes, he is constantly talking about mistakes. And I wrote down, okay, I wrote down this. He has a charitable fund that he invests in and that other people can see, right? So he says, My charitable trust allows me a rare and brutal look back at why I bought or sold a stock. I am on record about what my thought process was, which is why what I'm about to teach you is the single best set of lessons I've ever come up with. Most people never set down contemporaneously why they do something. If you want to minimize the mistakes you make, you should keep a diary. And at that exact moment when you buy or sell, write down why you did it. You will be struck by how many of the same patterns you repeat. Honestly, you should do that for dating. (laughs) yeah that's just good advice yeah I was like he really is very into like I'm a weirdo mea culpa like Mm -hmm. which is kind of I think leaves him open to a lot of criticism I don't know I relate to him a little bit in the sense that people think that I'm so sure about stuff so they yell at me a lot but (laughs) mostly I'm just like I'm a buffoon (laughs) no I appreciate a lot of his approach where he's like, hey, here's what's worked for me. And also here's just good information to have. Here's my libertarian take on a lot of things. And also, you know, here's some things I might be wrong about, or here's things I have been wrong about. Whereas a lot of other people in a variety of fields, they never admit their wrongs. And Jim is just like, yeah, I don't know, shit happens. And I'm like, Thanks, Jim. It's refreshing. Now for him, shit happens and he loses $130,000 and he's like, whoopsie. Yeah. Uh, For the average person, no. Now, this is where he loses me again. (sighs) Okay, page 163. Meanwhile, the war raged on. He's talking about the Iraq war. And so did the need for bullets. Within two years' time, (laughs) the stock rallied to more than $112 a share. I had let the market shake me out of a perfectly good position with a long-term thesis that, unfortunately for the U.S. soldiers in Iraq played out. So he's saying that he he's upset that he didn't get in on investing in bullets during the Iraq war. Unhinged. Truly dark. Like he wrote this, an editor read this and they were both like, yeah, we're going to publish At that. least he's being honest. You know what? <laughs> like it reminds me of not to spoil Triangle of Sadness, but it reminds me of the couple in that movie that make grenades. And if you have seen that movie, you'll know why that's funny. But Yeah, I mean, then he talks about investing in South African mining conglomerates. (laughs) It gets like, he's like, let's go to the 
darkest, most like fucked up parts of human psyches and let's invest there. (laughs) Yeah. He also talks about his kids help teaching him to invest in Apple and also teaching him to invest in Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister because he like looked at, he was like, hello, fellow kids, where are you doing stuff? Hello, fellow kids. So yeah, I mean, that's interesting. He also then this whole, I mean, this whole chapter, basically, he's talking about mistakes that he made. Mm -hmm. One thing he talks about is beware of any company that needs to grow endlessly through acquisitions. That just made me think Mm -hmm. of the show Succession. Oh, yeah. So that I mean, what do you think about that? Is that real like advice? I think so. Honestly, I I mean, I haven't ever seen Succession, so I can't like compare it to that. Wow. (laughs) Oh, wow. I know. I know. Well, one of my friends once described it to me as a bunch of rich people acting like assholes. And I was like, I don't know if I need that in my life. I'm more of a love is blind girly. Oh, <laughs> love is blind. Yeah. We, I just interviewed someone right before you about divorce. So love is blind is in the air. Oh my gosh. Iconic. But I do think, yes, a reliance on acquisitions is problematic is would be my take on that. Uh, this is not an area I'm deeply well-versed in kind of right. Like corporate takeovers and corporate acquisitions. But if you are constantly trying to get someone to buy your company in order to profit, as opposed to making sales out of the company to profit, I would say there's, that's out of whack. Yeah. I also really liked this thing he said about paying attention to other things that are going on in like the, you know, world of these companies. So, for example, he talks about this Lamar advertising company that was making billboards that had liquid crystal displays. And everyone was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then he started looking into car accidents in those areas where they had been put up. And highway safety officials started saying that the billboards were too dangerous and actually that car accidents were going up. And so he realized that he shouldn't invest in them because the stock dropped because the concerns went nationwide. The other example he gives of this is that he's saying don't trust the media, which is extremely funny in his world where he's saying like, okay, so the media actually makes, you know, he's like saying, read these newspapers and be aware of stuff. But then he's also saying like, no lesson has spooked me out of more money than this one, in part because it is as part of my job, I am such a close observer of programming. The media isolates the most negative story about medical issues and plays it in your face over and over until you can't take it anymore. Yeah, I <laughs> I found that to be deeply ironic given what else is in this book and also his job, which is basically yelling at people to buy things or to not buy things. You're part of the The call is coming from inside the house, Jim. (laughs) Right. He's also, I think, trying to hedge his bets again by saying like, well, if I tell you to invest in Procter & Gamble and then tomorrow something comes out that Procter & Gamble did this thing, it's not my fault because the media is, you know what I mean? Like he, I think he does take a lot of responsibility But he also is, I, you know, he still has a show to promote. Yeah. And he also does what a lot of rich people do, which is scapegoat the media. Like it's just a hobby, I believe, for high net worth individuals to be like, no, we can't trust the media because they don't, because I'm not saying it and I'm right in all things and ways there. So if I'm not saying this, it can't be trusted. Yeah. I mean, he he is the media, which is funny. I mean, he goes in hard on Barron's, 
which is so funny because Barron's, I guess, wrote, did a, a check on if any of his advice is like true at all. And he said, <laughs> he said, oh my God, not long ago, Barron's, a publication that in my lifetime has made me no money, decided it wanted to find some way to discredit me. Absolutely. The library is open, hunty. <laughs> wow. So he just spends th this whole chapter sort of being like, Baron says, I failed to beat the market, blah, blah, blah. I never said that. Their goal was to drive me off the air, which as befits a News Corp publication taking on a program on CNBC. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. He's just like, I got beef with Barons and now I have the mic. Like, he's like, this is my book and we're going to talk smack. Exactly. <laughs> okay, we're going to end on a couple of things. We're going to end on the five markets that he recommends. And again, he is amoral. So he says aerospace and defense. And he talks about Boeing and Airbus, which he still to this day is promoting Boeing. And he says that like, you know, the don't think so U.S. centric. There's stuff going on in China with Boeing, blah, blah, blah. He also says the United States is home to most of the world's major defense contractors. And we have become a giant exporter of tools of war. We are arms merchants financing billions and billions of dollars to arm Saudi Arabia and Israel and Egypt for many years to come. Yep. Post 9-11, political parties have remained committed to military spending. Cool, 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 cool. Right. And he doesn't unpack that. He's not like, and let's think about this. And he's not thinking about, you know, like the millions of people who have died as a result. He's like, anyway, because of ongoing war and imperialism, you can make a lot of money. Yes. He then goes on to say agriculture. Then he goes to bat for Monsanto, which is incredible. And if you if we don't have time to go through all of the legal cases that what happened with Monsanto, including like just look up Monsanto DDT. But basically there were a lot of problems there. Then he talks about oil and oil services. And he says to invest in Exxon and oil. He also recommends Halliburton. He sure does. He he sure does. <laughs> oh, defense, Monsanto and Halliburton, literally the three ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. What the fuck? Okay. He talks about minerals and mining, which already, Jesus Christ. And then he talks about infrastructure and, and Halliburton again. So really wild. Then he goes into 20 stocks that he recommends for the long term. So one is Caterpillar. And he says that it's a stock that does well, even when the economy is down. So, okay, fine. Then he, then he goes to bat for Goldman Sachs. One of the worst companies in the history of the world. And said, this is the, he says, this is the best one there is. Oh, uh, yep. And he's, he does start, he's like, call me biased because he worked at Goldman. And it's like, okay, I will call you biased. Yeah, yeah. Then he, rep then he goes for a couple oil companies. So that's chill. Then he goes for a driller, Transocean driller. Then he goes for Hologic, which is a leader in diagnostic, diagnostic and medical imaging for mammography and osteoporosis applications. So he's talking about like women's health and, you know, whatever and how that's noble. But then he says, this is the kind of company that is ideal for any environment, but will really excel in a slowdown. So basically like invest in healthcare during a crisis, which I guess is nice because you're giving them money. Sure, whatever. 
He does more healthcare stuff. He talks about like, you know, disease prevention and saving money on drugs will be like huge in the next five years. Then he recommends McDonald's. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like, did you watch The Founder, Jim? Come on. No, but it's also like... <laughs> Invest in healthcare and also McDonald's. Wink, wink. Okay, then he goes hard for Hewlett Packard and PCs. And he says that Microsoft is not able to innovate. So he tells you not to re- not to go with Microsoft because the BlackBerry is growing like wildfire. <laughs> oh, this was published in 2007. What a throwback. Blackberries, sir. He's like, we will never be using anything but Blackberries. And that's fine. I get it. Fine. That one's funny. But like, whatever. Then he talks about Google. And I think this is very interesting. I am willing to bet that by 2012, it will have the programming that youth watches, which is why I can't possibly pick any media company for the long term. So he thinks that there would be something called Google TV. Mm. Now, that's interesting. Well, because didn't they buy YouTube in 2008? So he did predict this pretty well. I mean, like, you know, we don't have Google TV exactly, but we have Google acquired a media platform, a major media platform. It just didn't really work out. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) But I mean, I think that's a good, that was a good prediction. Yeah. Good guess. Then he says, we make no judgments here. And that's why he's into investing in gambling. Yep. Then he really hurts my feelings by saying to invest in Pepsi rather than Coke, which I think is maybe just a fuck you to Warren Buffett. Pretty unclear. He does say he likes that they are concerned with the environment and with energy efficiency. So, Jim, you're really giving me whiplash here. Greenwashing, though. Total greenwashing. Pepsi is one of the world's top plastic polluters, as is Coke. Sorry. But they are. It's just like and Coke and Pepsi also actually get frequently put on lists. Now I'm just doing a little rant here, but they frequently get put on lists of like, if you want to invest in women, invest in Coke and Pepsi because she's no longer the CEO, but Pepsi did have a female CEO and Coke has a female board member. But it's like, is Coca-Cola good for all women? Or is it just good for that one woman who gets paid $600,000 a year to be a Coke board member? (laughs) Oh my God. That's so ridiculous. They're really put on lists for that. Yes, for the like less than the bare minimum. (laughs) So this is a very libertarian situation, which is like on 228, he says, I expect the defense budget to continue to grow as a percentage of the gross domestic product, no matter who is in the White House. And this is sort of the thing, right? Is like, you can be a Republican, you can be a Democrat, but at this point, and this is even in 2007, it's all kind of the same. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. why we're leftists here. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so this is just an aside, but he is talking about a guy he met named Eddie Lampert at Sears, right? And he was part of the Goldman boot camp. He kept being like, why is he not coming out with us after work? And it's because Eddie was only 15. Then he briefly mentions, at the last minute, Eddie was kidnapped and the banks walked away. Eddie ran from the kidnappers who are now serving life sentences. Okay, so I look up Eddie Lampert. And I was and I was not ready. (laughs) Eddie Lambert is an American billionaire who is the chairman and former chairman and CEO of Sears, who is this is what Jim Cramer is recommending you buy. Right. Is Sears. okay? so so he works at Goldman Sachs. Then 
he like is called the next Warren Buffett. Basically, he becomes like this huge deal in 2017. He has $2 billion in assets from being in charge of Sears Holdings. He was very bad at his job. And he basically was criticized for shredding his employees in corporate meetings, being out of touch with reality, as well as failing to invest in the physical stores. And also he lost Sears around half its value in five years and closed more than half of its physical stores. 2018, he steps down. And then he is basically told that he needs to pay out these employees because in 2019, he threatens not to pay $43 million in pension payments owed to 90,000 former Sears and Kmart employees and retirees. He's a terrible person. And he's also like, I think, a big Republican, but anyway, or libertarian. But anyway, so then under personal life, it says, this is so much. Okay. Lampert is a self-proclaimed supporter of free market economics and is a fan of libertarian writer Ayn Rand. He is the owner of The Fountainhead, a 288-foot motor luxury yacht. No. In 2003, Lampert was kidnapped from the parking lot of his Greenwich office, but persuaded his captors to let him go after two days of captivity by promising to pay them a ransom. Oh my God. You know, they were just annoyed. They're like, we can't be around you anymore. You gotta go. I tried to find like, it's a story that is told in in Business Week from 2004 in an article about him called The Next Warren Buffett. But I don't know that they fact checked this in any way. He was kidnapped at gunpoint, but I it, there's no follow-up. I guess the guys went to jail, so I guess it did happen. But- that is, that was truly wild. Also, that this man ended up being so fucking bad at his job. I know, I know. Especially for starting at 15, like, wow, there's just a lot. Where is his book? I'm like, we gotta get that. We gotta do a deep dive on onto this man. And and Jim says, my friend Eddie, I'm betting on him. Well, don't. Don't. It's not gonna work out well. If he couldn't even not get kidnapped outside his own office, you think this man is paying attention? If he doesn't even have, yeah, situational awareness, how is he gonna have business awareness? (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, so, okay, we have to wrap this up. But so here's the, he recommends a bunch of, he then he starts saying index funds are good. And he's like, definitely invest in index funds. What were you just telling us this whole book? Anyway, it's fine. So then he breaks down the index funds he wants you to invest in. Here's some stuff I found out. So the first one he does is it's CGM Focus Fund run by Ken Hebner. Ken Hebner last year shut down capital growth management. So he just, you know, had dramatic gains, dramatic losses, according to Bloomberg. And now it's closed. Then dead. Dead. Then we get to Rice Hall James Microcap Profile run by Thomas W. McDowell Jr. Thomas W. McDowell Jr. passed away in 2017, so he is dead. Okay. (laughs) He has these metrics for why. He also at one point says microchips are a risky investment, which is hilarious to me because that's like a huge thing now. And then I looked up Camp. So he he recommends a bunch of other people, blah, blah, blah. He, he talks about small cap funds, totally fine. And he talks about like, should you invest in this when you're 25 or when you're 55, which I do appreciate. 
He also like talks shit. Like he'll be like, I don't know. It seems like maybe this guy is losing his edge, but maybe not. Who knows? Like he's talking about this guy, Edward Killen. And he's like, a good man, money manager gets better if less intense with age. Okay, fine. He lit- You literally named him by name. Then we get to Camp, which is run by Ronald H. Camp. And I looked up Camp, and his board is the only one with women on it, but it's almost all his kids. So the thing with that is that it really looked to me like succession. Like it was very much like, oh, wow, he really just put his kids in charge and that's their job is to run this thing that their dad does. He Now, then he says about him, the risk is that he's lost his touch. And instead of making people money in bad markets, he might start losing you money in good ones. If Camp is offered in your 401k, though, you've hit the jackpot because funds this good are really offered in 401ks. Is Camp as good as the top guys on this list? Maybe not. But time will tell. And he's better than anyone except my top guys. I just like, again, he's so like, this guy's amazing. But is he super amazing? No. But is he great? A hundred percent. But do I love him? Not that much. Like he's constantly back and forth. Yeah. If I, I mean, I do love naming names. I appreciate naming names. Oh, I appreciate it. For sure. Now, the thing is, what I wrote down is that I looked it up and all of these are men and all of these men are absolutely ancient, if not passed away. Now, has time gone by since this book came out? Sure. Uh, Almost like 15 or more years. Fine. But it gives you a sense of who he trusts and looks up to. Exactly. Like... The just there's this a lack of social nuance throughout the whole book and the fact that he doesn't recommend any funds like run by women, run by people of color, or it even acknowledges that like that might be an interest to people or anything like that. It's just it's not even on his radar. Kara, after all this, after everything we've been through, together with me, you and Jim, <laughs> he recommends the Vanguard 500 Index Fund which is the one everyone fucking says to invest in for all of time. Oh my God, he sure does. I truly, I like pulled white hairs out of my head when we got to that part because I was like, this aged me. This this book culminating in this recommendation has aged me five years. Why did we spend all this time <laughs> for you to recommend Vanguard, which my, my boyfriend who used to be a CPA recommends to me every day? Ugh. Jim, I mean, on the one hand, never change and also change immediately. That's how I feel about this book and Jim. What? So, okay. Final thoughts. What are, what are your final thoughts on this? Okay. Final thoughts, the good. I do appreciate that this book goes way more specific around investing in definitions and language than 90% of money books. And I think that is really to be commended. I hate the libertarian bent. I honestly, I think libertarians are garbage. And I'm like, take that out of this book immediately. And I I don't know, I'm kind of torn on like his kind of kooky, I'm just saying stuff, but like I made a lot of money, but I'm just like you, I go back and forth on. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, this is working for me. And sometimes I'm like, I'm gonna smother you. Please be quiet. <laughs> he wasn't the worst one that I have read. Because I'm I'm not talking about books by people I respect, like Broke Millennial or Tiffany or anything like that. We've been reading a lot of books by people that I'm like, okay, I have a vague idea of why they suck. And they are wealthy. People who are wealthy, wealthy. So let's see. He wasn't the worst, but the bar is on the floor. He also was like, 
hey, why don't you invest in bullets while we are in a war? <sighs> uh, yeah. Hard to come back from that, frankly. Really? And also like invest in gambling and also invest in health health insurance, but then invest in McDonald's. Like, yeah, it's, it's very evil. So I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, I guess it depends on what side of the world you want to be on. I once saw a tweet that was like, Kim Kardashian's political stance can be summed up in, I don't like what the problems are doing to the world, but I love the source of the problem. Like, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's also Jim, you know, he's like, yeah, some stuff is shitty, but like, you know what? I love the things that make things shitty. (laughs) Uh, And that's where can people find you and more about you and your work? You could find me on Instagram at TikTok at we bravely go. And then I'm on Twitter as well, but like not that much because Elon's made it less fun, but that's at bravely go. And then I have a website, bravelygo.co, not .com. I don't know where that'll take you. I couldn't afford the .com. So just .co, bravelygo.co, it rhymes. Thank you so much. And I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm not sorry. I'm glad I read it. I won't be rereading. That's where we're at. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to have people over to my house and they're going to see all the books I am I have on my shelf and think real weirdly of me. Yeah. <laughs> what? Hmm. I don't know. I thought I liked Gabe, but I don't know anymore. <laughs> right. Bad With Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual. Produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond M. Print Productions. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Coco Lorenz. And music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen, as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.